If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians. Uh, we've been in Ephesians for like the last, last 25 weeks, I think it is. We've almost half a year. Uh, we've been walking verse by verse. I, I hope you like walking verse by verse through, through a book. Uh, I personally like to preach that way just because it forces a preacher uh, to preach on the good parts of scriptures or the easy parts of scripture and the hard parts. It, it doesn't, in other words, it doesn't allow you just to par- preach on the part that are, that, are, that are your favorite or that the easy. And so we've been walking through Ephesians together and we're getting to this place to where, to where we get to this place to where Paul begins talking about this issue of how to live out your faith. Now listen, today, uh, t- next week, will be the final series or sermon in this series, A Lost Connection, and we'll take a little bit of a break, and then after the first of the year, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, and that's where I'll start talking about, well, the next series and the first of the year is we're going to talk about marriage and, and what do those relationships look like. I really believe God's given me some fresh insight uh, into, uh, into relationships, into marriage that I've never seen before, and so we'll be doing that right after the first of the year. But today we're talking about this subject of a lost connection. I'm sorry, that was last week, or the series is a lost connection. And the sermon title is, He Won't Stop Calling Me. In other words, that, that, that all of a sudden I'm worried about who's going to call, I'm worried about who's going to text, I'm worried about who's going to show up. And Paul begins talking about this issue of light versus darkness. He begins talking about this issue of living a life in the dark or living a, light, a life in the light. In Genesis chapter 1, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. Let me read a Genesis chapter 1, and then we'll move to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Here's what Genesis says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light, watch this, light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Here's what, the, here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, says this in, in, in verse 3. He goes on to say, But sexual immorality and all impurity and all covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you, you were darkness. In other words, when you were lost, before you met Christ, you were darkness, and now you're light of the Lord, in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul begins taking this issue of light and darkness, and he begins comparing the two. He takes this issue of light and darkness and says, in in darkness, there is no direction. In darkness, there is no direction. In darkness, there is no joy. Fact is, in darkness, what Paul says is this, is that, that the works are unfruitful. In other words, the works are not helpful. But in the light, 
In the light, there is joy and peace and fulfillment. And the scriptures talk about this issue that God has called you and God has called me as believers to walk in purity, as believers to walk in the light, that once you come to know Christ, if you're a believer, the scripture says this, that you live a moral, pure life. In other words, this, that, that once you're a believer, you no longer walk in darkness, but you walk in the light. In the darkness, there's shadows of compromise. In the in the darkness, it's a place where it says that, that even the works are, are unfruitful and not productive and there's consequences. And there's a lot of believers in our, in our society and in our time and our culture that are asking questions like, how far in the darkness can I go and still be a believer? How far in the darkness can I live and still call myself a Christ follower and a believer and I get to go to heaven? And I would tell you that is not the question. The question is this, how far in the light can I go? How far in the light can I go? How far can I walk? with God or close to God and Paul would say this guess what you're as close to God today as you want to be because what you value you do and so Paul is trying to help us understand the difference between living a life in the light or living a life in the darkness verse 8 for at one time you were darkness but now you're light in the Lord walk as children of the of, of the light in other words this that you should have a manner of living a manner of walking a lifestyle that you're walking the light. Now, it's interesting about darkness. I mean, darkness can be unsettling sometimes, right? Darkness can be scary uh, sometimes, right? Because of the shifting shadows and because of all of those other things. I'll never forget, Karen and I were married about five or six years. We were, we were living in Houston, Texas at the time. We had two small uh, girls, Brittany and Amanda. And we had one of those houses to where the master bedroom was on one side of the house and the kids' room were on the, the other side of the house. And, and uh, there had been a string of burglaries that had gone through our, our neighborhood. And we were all talking about that. We were all aware of that. And so one night, I'm in a deep sleep and something about me, I do not wake up well uh, <laughs> suddenly at all. Fact is, if our kids, when our kids were home, if they, had a, if they had the choice that they needed to wake up a parent and it was between me and Karen, they would always wake up Karen because I just don't wake up well. I'm not a morning person. I don't understand mornings. I hate mornings. All I, I do. I, I mean, I, I, I just do. And so, um, so all of a sudden, I've never, ever heard Karen that panicked since. But in the middle of the night, Karen wakes me up, and she's screaming to the top of her lungs. She's like, there's someone in the house. There's someone in the house. There, there's someone in the house. Do something. Do something quick. And I'm like, what? You know, and trying to wake up, that whole deal. And so Karen was panicked, and she literally grabbed me by the arm, and she drugged me. She's like, do something. And so she, she drugged me off the side of the bed. And as I'm falling, coming off the side of the bed, I went to take a step. And I'm telling you, my leg was totally numb. It was totally asleep. And so I took a step, and I did a face plant like in the, in the master bedroom. And Karen screams, and Karen says, you're the man of the house. Don't just, don't just lay there. Do something. And I'm like, I'm like I, I can't. I can't. And she says, what do you mean you can't? And she's trying to pick me back up, and all I'm trying to do is just crawl away from my wife. I'm more afraid of my... You know what? I'm more afraid of my wife than the intruder. I'm like, God, this is ridiculous. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And so Karen goes, well, you know what? You're not going to take care of the house. I'll do it. And so she takes off running. I mean, she's totally panicked. And she runs in the living room, and then all of a sudden she comes back in, and I'm trying, you know, I'm just like, man, this is nuts. And so, and so she comes back in, and she says, there is someone in the house. And I'm like, how do you know? Did you see them? And she goes, no, I didn't see him. She says, I ran in the living room, and the cat 
the cat is like puffed up, scared. She says, I've never seen the cat. The cat's seen something. And I'm like, you know cats of her Satan. And you cannot trust cats. <laughs> you know, you can't trust cats. I mean, a cat may be just messing with you. And so she said, you got to get out there. And you got to get out there now. And so, so you know, we, we started, I said, okay, okay. So I get up. And I'm walking through the house, and, and it's dark, and, you know, we'd lived in that house for five years. I knew where the furniture was and all that other stuff. But in the dark, things change, right? In the dark, it's a little scary. In the dark, it's a little unsettling. Fact is, I stubbed my toe on a piece of furniture. And I didn't say a word because I'm a pastor. And so, <laughs> and so, and so we're, making our way, we're making our way through the house, and then we realize, you know what? We realize what happened we realized that the cat of Satan was sitting on a speaker. We had these ginormous speakers, was sitting on a speaker, jumped off the speaker, probably pushed the speaker over, and it, it hit some metal mini blinds and raked down the mini blinds. And then all of a sudden it scared the cat. The cat gets all puffed up, and Karen hears it, and then one thing led to another, and, and here we are. And so I, I would tell you this. If that had to happen in the light of day, no big deal. Right? I mean, if you hear a sound in the house in the light of day, no big deal. That had to happen in the light of day, no big deal. But it happened in the dark. There's, see, there's something, there's something about dark. There's something about the darkness. There's something about the darkness that is unsettling and scary. And what Paul is trying to get us to understand as believers, there's something about when a believer walks in the darkness rather than the light. And what Paul is trying to help believers and he, trying to help us understand is that we've got to understand that as believers, there's some things that happen when we compromise, when we compromise our moral purity, when we compromise all of those other things. In fact, as he says, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. I'm telling you, any work in darkness is unfruitful. I don't care how fruitful you think it is. Listen, I'm telling you, it's dangerous to believe that where you think that, you know what, I know better then God knows about what will make me happy. As a result of that, I'm going to obey my feelings rather than obey the Word of God. And I, you know what? And I think it's okay. As a believer, I, I can be in darkness and there's no consequences. But here's what he says. He says there's no unfruitful work in darkness. But instead, you know what you do with those works? You expose them. You bring them to the light. A lot of people don't want to bring them to the light. I mean, they want to keep those. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about secret sins. Talk about that secret stuff. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And what Paul is saying, it's unfruitful works. Guess what? What Paul is saying, the works done in darkness always end badly. One broken relationship right after another. One issue right after the other. Fact is, what Paul says, that when you walk in the light, or when you walk in the darkness, and you compromise, it'll be hard for you to dis discern God's will for your life. It'll be hard for you to make a godly decision. I want to give you two things this morning about this issue of darkness and light. I think this is so important for us to understand this morning. I know some of this is kind of, it's kind of unsettling or it's kind of, it's kind of uncomfortable to even talk about, uh, but that's one of the reasons why I preach verse by verse through a, a book of the Bible because we just, we just chart a course in the book of Bible and whatever that verse says, we preach about, we talk about. First thing is this about darkness. The difficulty of darkness is living with secret sins. The difficulty of darkness because you know uh, there's conviction from God, and so it's, it's in the darkness that people have to start justifying their, their, their actions. Like, you know, God wants us happy. 
You know, he, he, how will we ever know if we're going to make it together in marriage if we don't live together first? Even though secular statistics, not from a pastor, but from counselors and psychologists that chart that stuff, they tell you that the divorce rate goes up when people live together prior to marriage. It doesn't go down. In fact, is it does the opposite. It's what Paul begins talking about, this unfruitful, just this unfruitful work that happens in darkness. In verse 3, he says, But sexual immorality and all, and all impurity or covetousness not even be, may, must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. And so all of a sudden, in, this, in these verses, Paul uses the three Greek words for sexual immorality. And all he's saying is this. He used it three different times, three different ways. He said any sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. See, God wants us to live moral lives, and God wants us to live in moral purity. There's a thought today of this issue of there's no absolute truth, right? There's no absolute morality. There's no absolute truth. Fact is, all truth is subjective. In other words, this, that people talk in our society that you and I can decide what is truth for us. And it's just kind of subjective truth. So what is truth for you is truth for you, and what is truth for me is truth for me. And so there's that thought. But the Bible talks about something different. The Bible talks about absolute truth and absolute morality. The fact is, Robbie Zachariah, I don't know if you know that name, Robbie Zachariah is an intellect, he's a preacher, he, he writes books, he lectures, he's an apologist, and uh, he was invited to one of the Ivy League schools, uh, colleges, to lecture on this issue of absolute morality. And so he, he had an hour lecture, and he, 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 he lectured to the entire student body, and then he was willing, after his lecture, to, to take questions. So right, after he took, so right after he finished his lecture, he says, if anybody has a question, just step up to the microphone and, and ask. I'll answer it. A young college student, a man, gets up, walks to the microphone and says, uh, Dr. Zachariah, i got one question for you. Why are you so afraid of subjective morality? And Robbie Zachariah looked at him and says, can I ask you one question? He said, sure, that'll be fine. Do you lock your doors at night? And he said, well, of course I do. He said, of course you do, because you're afraid of subjective morality. And you should be, because there may be someone that believes that it's not wrong to put a bullet in your head. And as a result of that, you lock your doors at night, because you yourself are afraid, and you should be, of subjective morality. He says, young man. There's something called absolute truth and absolute morality. And you can study civilizations and you can study history. And whenever civilizations begin to believe that there's subjective truth, it was always to their destruction. The Bible talks about this absolute morality. It's interesting about us today. We want a lot of things pure, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we want the water that we drink. Uh, we want it pure. I mean, to where tap water, no longer good enough for us. Uh, we'll spend a lot of money on bottled water and fancy water and all this other stuff because guess what? We want to make sure we're getting pure water. We want pure water. 
we want pure food, right? Uh, we want organic food. We want food that doesn't have any pesticides and, and all of that other stuff and all those chemicals because that's bad. And we, want, we want our food pure. In fact, is, uh, in fact is we want, we want range-free beef, right? Uh, we want range-free chicken, whatever that is, and we want range-free beef. And, you know, I don't care. As long as it's fried and barbecued, who cares? And so... And so we want all that, right? Because we want our meat to be free of, of, of pesticides and steroids and chemicals and all of that other stuff because we don't want to put anything into our body, guess what, that's not pure. But we're not very interested in having pure minds, in having pure lives. And many people will watch anything on a television, an internet, their phone, no matter how perverted it is because they no longer care. Years back, you used to have to go to a, uh, a, a, an adult, adult bookstore to purchase or to get pornography. And now, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and it's just, it's just piped into your homes with the internet and with the cable or satellite into your phones or or social, social media, and people say it's okay because boys will be boys. Paul, Paul uses this Greek word in, in this text. The Greek word's porneia, P-O-R-N-I-A. It's where we get the word pornography. Yeah, the Bible talked about pornography. And he talks about this issue. He talks about this issue of darkness. We, 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 we become a, a sexually saturated community where sexual addictions just abound in fact his research they, they, they got a group of parents together and they, they asked parents what, what is your number one fear in, in our society of raising kids here's what they said that we will not be able to pass on our values morals and our faith to our children listen it, it's no exaggeration that our children are the casualties of the sexual revolution. See, I lived through the sexual uh, revolution. Many of us have scars from the sexual revolution to where we believe in free love and free sex and whatever happens in your bedroom is, doesn't affect society and it's, it's just okay. But our kids are the casualties of a sexual revolution that has failed. Here, here are just some staggering statistics. Every 19 seconds a baby is born to a unmarried mother. Every 18 seconds during the school year, a public high school student drops out. Every 45 seconds, a child is abused or neglected. In other words, their innocence is robbed from them, and they have no sensitivity any longer. Every three minutes, a child, not an adult, a child, please remember that, a child Every three minutes, a child is arrested for a drug offense. Every seven minutes, a child is arrested for a violent offense. Every three hours and 15 minutes, a child or a teen is killed by firearm. Every six hours, a child says enough and commits suicide. Statistics like that can make you and I wonder, is it possible to raise G-rated kids in an X-rated world? And I would tell you it is possible. And that's why you need to get your children and your students in our children's ministry or our student ministry. 
Oh, we don't want to replace the parents. You, you, you're, the, you're the one that develops them spiritually, but we do want to come alongside of you and empower you and help you and speak truth into your children's lives and help them to understand that there are a group of kids, there are a group of students that are G-rated in an X-rated world. You see, God, please understand this, God is not anti-sex. He's the one that invented it. And he says it's in the boundaries of marriage. And Paul is saying that if you're unwilling to make a commitment to God's standard of sex, that, and you move into the area of darkness, I'm just telling you, you can no longer hear from God. You can pray all you want. You can talk to God all you want, but I'm telling you what, it, what the Scripture says. When you're in darkness, you cannot hear from Him. You cannot get a word from Him. That's why Paul says these, the, the, these works are unfruitful. The works in darkness, they're not productive. They're unfruitful. You, won't be, you, you may be making life decisions in the darkness. And what Paul says is just unfruitful. And that you can no longer make uh, good choices. And if you're not careful, you're going to live a life with regrets because the Bible says this. Listen, the Bible says sex is way more than physical. See, the world will tell you it's just a physical act. The Bible says, well, oh, wait a minute, it's way, it's way more than physical. fact is, you know what the Bible says? It's physical and spiritual. It has physical consequences, and guess what? It has spiritual consequences as well. The, that, that sex, that's why it's designed for marriage. It's both a physical act and it's, it's, a, and it's a physical act. And, and sex can have emotional, physical, and spiritual consequences. I mean, if sex was just physical, it'd be kind of like a, a handshake. And it wouldn't matter really who you had sex with, but it's more than, than, than physical because there's this, there's this connection. There's this connection that happens. And God says sex is way more than just physical, and that's why it's reserved for marriage. And anything, what, what he says, anything outside of that, outside of the boundaries, is darkness. And anything outside of that, pornography, Affairs, sexual immorality, has profound consequences of emotion in spiritual life and maybe even physical harm with the diseases that you can carry. See, what Paul is trying to get the believers there in Ephesus to understand is, is sex and darkness is full of regret and that in the light, there's joy and peace and goodness. And sex is a, sex is a, is a gift from, from God and must be used wisely. I mean, water is a gift from God, right? And you cannot live without water. And I can't live without water, but, but too much water and you'll drown. Fire is a gift from God. And fire used wisely can heat a home. It can, it can, it can prepare a meal. It can purify water. But fire out of control, you'll get burned. And I'm telling you what Paul is saying, you can get burned in this area. It's really interesting to me that generally in Scripture, whenever, whenever the word greed is used, it's generally used in association with money, not here. Paul uses this in the context of sex. Watch this, verse, verse 19. And they have become callous. In, no, in other words, they can no longer hear from God. They can no longer make wise decisions. And they've given themselves up to sensuality sensuality, greedy. So here's the definition of greed. Greed is a continual lust for more, never satisfied. In our society, 
we have more people dealing with sexual addictions than we do dealing with alcoholism. Over 19 million people in, our, in, in the U.S. deal with some sort of sexual addiction that there's this, there's this continual lust for more. And it just leaves them empty. It has to be higher risk. And it has to be higher volume. Greedy to pack practice every, every kind of immorality. Society. 91% of, of, of sex portrayed on TV is sex outside of marriage. There's no correlation to reality. Fact is, TV will tell you, the world will tell you, the only good sex is sex outside of marriage. Statistics, you know what statistics tell you? Not from pastors, just from counselors and, and, and psychologists. They'll tell you the most satisfying sex is sex within marriage. Our world will tell you fulfillment and joy is found in, in, in going from partner to partner to partner to partner. The Bible would tell you the opposite. The Bible would tell you fulfillment and joy is found finding one man, one woman for life and giving your life up for him or her for life. And that's where joy and peace is found. That's where joy and fulfillment is found. Uh, verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And so what, what Paul is talking about, Paul is talking about this issue to where your life is lived with integrity. To where there's not this darkness, there's not this secret life, there's not these secret sins. King David in the Bible, remember, he, he had a secret sin. Remember King David, David seduced his, 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 his neighbor and then she became pregnant and then he, he killed her husband and he thought, you know what, he thought this, he thought, and there's a false belief. He thought that there's a such thing as secret sins. No such thing as secret sins. The scripture talks about this, that God sees everything. God knows everything. What is it about us that we believe? Adam and Eve were the same way, to where they believe that there, there's these things called secret sins. But the scripture talks about this, that everything is laid bare before God. And David thought he'd gotten away with it. And God speaks to Nathan and sends Nathan to David. And, David, and Nathan didn't judge David or anything like that. He just... He just confronted him. Here's what David writes when he lived in darkness, when he had secret sins, Psalm 32, verse 3. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Listen, there's conviction. There's conviction in darkness. My strength was dried up. As the heat of summer. In other words, you know what David's saying? David's saying secret sins drain you. Secret sins will emotionally drain you because you're always worried who's going to call, who's going to check your text message, who's going to check your, your browser history, who's going who's to who's find out. Second thing is this that I'd like for you to remember this morning is this, is that the beauty of light is living in forgiveness and freedom. It's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. He's, what he's trying to help us to understand is, is that there's beauty. None of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. But what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that there should be a rhythm to where we understand that beauty is found in the Christian life of living a life of forgiveness and freedom. Verse 8, <coughs> excuse me. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. So I want to give you a path 
of forgiveness and freedom. This is a path that is lived out through the, through the entire Christian life that every one of us should understand, well, what is the path? What is the path to freedom? What is the path to light? What is the path of coming out of darkness and into the light and living this life of forgiveness and freedom that God has is, is called us to do? Because Paul says that, that we, we walk and we take a step to walk. And so step one, if you want to step out of darkness into the light, step one is this. Understand that our sins really aren't secret. You just got to understand that. You just got to understand that our sins really aren't secret. We may think they're secret, but look at this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And no creature is hidden from God's sight, his sight. That's God's sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom, to whom guess what? To whom we'll give an account one day. And so we must understand that the, the, the steps, the path to freedom, the path to forgiveness is understanding, listen, you don't get away with anything. What is done in the darkness will be exposed in the light. And so the Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches, guess what? No one gets away with anything. David, David thought he was getting away with it. David thought he was smarter than anyone else. And the day came when Nathan came and, and visited him. And so the first step is just to realize God sees everything. God knows everything. It's not so important if someone catches you as much as it is what it does to your relationship with God. Second thing is this, if you want to stop to step to freedom and forgiveness, the second step is this, identify your, your, your sin by the light. In other words, a lot of people, you know, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we, we, you can go into a room, a dark room, and you can be there long enough to where you believe that it's no longer dark, right? I mean, to where your eyes grow accustomed to the dark. Uh, and so we need to understand that we identify, we identify our past, we identify our sin, not by the darkness, because that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people believe, you know, you know what, God kind of grades on a curve, and so I'm not as bad as Hitler, or I'm not as bad as such and such, and so I'm much better than them. And so what happens, Christians, if you're not careful, you will grade your life out by the darkness. And he said, no, wait a minute. You grade your life out by the light, expose it, uh, verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The only way you can discern what is pleasing to the Lord is in the lightness and not in the dark. Verse 13, he goes on and says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The light, light of the, of the Bible is Jesus. Uh, the Bible is Jesus revealing himself to us. And sin hates the light. Sin hates to be exposed. I mean, there's this, there's this resistance to that. This is what Jesus said in, in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light is coming into the world, and the people... People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And what he's saying is, you know, we've we got to come to the place. I'm just telling you, that's, that's why life groups are so important. That's why a Christian friend is so important. Um, that people can speak into your life and say, that, that's dark. No matter how you justify it, I'm just telling you that that's darkness and that's an unfruitful work. And that's, that's not going to end well for you. There's freedom, what he says, in exposing them to the light. 
many years ago, I was invited to go uh, preach at a, at a megachurch in, uh, in, in Merritt Island, Florida. And, uh, and, and I mean, they called and said, would you come in and, and preach and, and preach on a Sunday? They didn't do Saturday night services. Would you, would you preach on a, on a Sunday? And I meant Karen could tell who I was talking to, what was going down. I'm getting off the phone, and I mean, I mean, she's already on the internet look, looking at airplane tickets, and the kids are like packing their bags, and all of a sudden, they're all going with me. And I'm like, I'm like seriously, when I, when I go to some other places, you guys don't want to go. They go, yeah, but we're beach people. We love the beach. We're going. And so, uh, so I flew in on a Saturday with my family, um, uh, showed up at this church in, in right near Cocoa Beach, and I preached uh, all of their Sunday services and then, then went to lunch with their staff. And then after that, I tagged a vacation onto it. And so we spent another week in Florida, and most of it in Cocoa Beach. We just, you know, we're just beach people. We just, uh, it's hard to get my family off the beach. It was a little bit embarrassing. We're, we're at this church, and we're in worship, and, and I smell something. So I turned to Karen and my girls, and I'm like, do I smell sunscreen? They came to church with sunscreen on. They just couldn't wait. Fact is, they had their swimsuits on under their dresses. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And so, uh, so we, we did the vacation, and we flew into Tampa because I could get a cheap airfare and just drive over. And so we flew out of Tampa. And so Tampa's a little bit of a small airport, and so we, we, we arrived the two hours prior to the air flight that you're supposed to arrive. And, and uh, I had forgotten we were in a rush, and I would forgotten to fill the rental car back up. And so this is many years ago, and they're like, you know what, we'll fill it up for you. It's $4 a gallon. I'm like, $4 a gallon? I'll never pay $4 a gallon for gas. And so, because at that time, it was near a dollar. And so I'm like, that's ridiculous. And so I got angry, and so I said, that's it. I says, I'm not turning the rental car in. Karen, take the girls. You guys go, go get on the plane. Don't worry about me. I'm going to go fill this thing up. I'm coming back. That's, that's like highway robbery. I'm not doing that. And so Karen says, well, would you mind taking my piece of luggage? Because, I mean, her luggage is like a boat anchor. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's like ginormous. And I says, no problem. Here's my luggage. I'll take your luggage. Throw it in the rental car. Well, what I didn't realize is there's no gas stations near uh, Tampa Airport. And I drove back into town, get gas. I am flying back out there. I think, you know what? This is really brilliant, Charlie. You're going to miss the flight over this. And so I get there. I grab her luggage. I am running up to the, to the, to the terminal. I show up, and I'm in line, you know, and TSA is there to where they make sure you don't have, you know, rocket launchers and grenades and, and you know, knives and fingernail clippers and stuff that you could take over the plane with. And so... So I'm in line, and all of a sudden, this TSA agent comes up to me and, and taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, we're doing a random search. We're pulling you out of line. And I'm like, of course you are. I mean, I'm running as fast as I can. I'm sweating profusely, and I've got this big piece of luggage. <laughs> so, so they take me off to the side, and, and so the, you know, they ask you the question, is, your, is this your piece of luggage? Yes, it is. Uh, have you been in control of this piece of luggage the whole time? Yes, I have. And so I'm answering all the questions. I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss the flight. And so, so all of a sudden, they run it through the x-ray deal with me. They say, you need to stand here. And they run it through the x-ray deal with me standing there. And then he looks at me and he says, you know, we've seen something. We're going to take you into another room. We're going to have to open your luggage. I said, great. It's all Karen stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we go in another room. After I'd answered all these questions, that, yeah, it's mine. And so all of a sudden, they open it up. And there's nothing but sandals and hats and, and, 
and girls' bathing suits and dresses and sundresses and all this other stuff. And he's just like looking at a curling iron. He knew that wasn't me. And so he's just we were like, so he's looking at this and he's, he's digging through it. And he said, so this all, this all yours? And I didn't answer. So he leans across the table and made that TSA ugly face. You know, the intimidating face. And he's like, is this your stuff? And so I didn't want to lie, but I wanted to get on the plane. So I thought real quickly. I looked back at him, and I said, the red dress is my favorite. I still don't know what he thinks about it. I think he just, well, this, is, this is awkward now. We're closing it up and you go on. Yeah, even TSA sends luggage across to make sure there's no secret things in the luggage that would hurt you or hurt others. Scripture says the most powerful thing is for us willing to come out of the darkness into the light. Because when you're in the darkness, you can have people around you that love you, speaking truth into your life, and you will tell them, no, you do not know what you're talking about. You don't have a clue. The last step is this, confess your sins. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's power in the confession of sin. Nathan, David had Nathan. It's the power of community. That's the power of Christian community. That's the power of life groups. To where you identify your sin and you don't shine darkness on it. You shine the light of Jesus Christ on it and you confess your sins and you confess your sins to God and if you need someone to hold you accountable, you confess it to someone trusted. The point of this whole sermon is this, is your life doesn't have to be controlled by a secret sin. You don't have to go from one broken relationship, one broken issue after another. You don't have to worry about the wrong person showing up on your doorstep. You don't have to worry about the wrong person calling you. You don't have to worry about someone checking your email or discovering a, sec a secret sin. You don't have to worry about your internet history. You don't have to worry about text messages. You don't have to worry about social media. You don't have to worry about being one way with this group of people and another way with this group of people and hoping those two groups never cross. Paul says, do you want to live in freedom? And freedom is found in walking up to a bloodstained cross and saying, my sin separates me from you. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your sacrifice. And I'm confessing it. And to the very best of my ability, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in forgiveness. I'm going to walk in freedom. Because I need to be able to hear from you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? What is he saying to you as a result of this message? It may be that you, you've never come to the place in your life to where you've truly accepted him.
you're truly asking him to come into your life and being a Christ follower is this, is to where you, you're able to see that your, your life is beginning to change. And your life is becoming more like the light. Your life is becoming more like Jesus. Your life begins to line more and more up with Scripture. So let me ask you, have you ever come to that place to where you've accepted him and asked him to come into your life for the forgiveness of your sin? Maybe the mor- this morning would be the morning that you ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins. And start walking in the light. Maybe you're a believer and maybe you say, you know what, I, I may be in darkness. I, I, I may have that secret thing. And now this helps understand why I feel lost, why it's hard to hear from God, why there's no real joy, there's no real comfort. In fact, is there's like this unsettledness in my life. And maybe for you, it's like, I'm going to start, I'm going to take these steps. And I'm going to walk out of the darkness and I'm going to walk into the light where God has called me to walk. I'm going to live different. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, you know what, I, I just got a prayer request. I need prayer. And whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a medical issue, whether it's a, a relational issue, whether it's the issue that we just talked about, and you say, you know what, I, I, I just need someone to lift that burden. We want to lift that burden. Just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer in any area of your life, as you stand up, would you step out and you begin making your way down to the front. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And thank you for the power of your name. And Father, we ask that you pull this church very closely to you, that we'd just be willing to respond to you, that we would be a, we'd be a people group, we'd be a tribe that was willing to walk in the light. And we'd encourage one another, not with guilt or condemnation, but we'd encourage one another to walk in the light as you have called us to walk so we can have a relationship with you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.